Hello everyone, today I'm here with Randy Bueller. Uh, hello. How it's going? Welcome! <laughs> so for people who don't know, I made a video of top 10 uh, American Magic players and Randy uh, commented on, on my post and he said that he potentially disagree with some of the choices and stuff like that. We, we talked a little bit uh, on Twitter uh, privately and we decided to do a video together. Uh, this is not going going to be necessarily like, or maybe you should explain yourself. Maybe that's better. Wait, I thought I thought your videos could have used a little more love for some of the old school players. Like for me, when I'm ranking players, I like to compare people to the standards of the era they were in, and it felt like you know some of the some of the players from the '90s and 2000s might have got some short shrift. But I didn't just want to do a you know top ten old timers list. It's like yeah, Finkel's number one, of course. This isn't. <laughs> so what we settled on was like. Who was the best player in the game? Who's that consensus best player sort of through time? Imagine there's a heavyweight championship belt that is handed to the best player. How many people actually held the belt over time? So that I, it'll give us a chance to highlight some of the some of the old school guys and you know bring it up to the modern time as well. Yeah, I have to admit I was probably biased towards the newer newer players when I was making the videos. So you know, it's going to be nice to talk about uh, the, the the people who maybe played in an era that I don't necessarily know. So I'm looking forward to it. Sure. Yeah. It's like fun to me. I, I'm always up for talking about magic. All right, let's go. Uh, the 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 first name here is the creator of magic himself. It's Richard Garfield. Um, I mean, you're looking at my list. Somebody had to be the best magic player of all time in or in 1992, right? He's the guy who thinks of it. It's kind of a joke answer, but you got to start the belt somewhere. So I started in Richard's hands, and then uh, I don't think Richard held it for very long. <laughs> Much more of a designer and like what makes it fun than actually uh, trying to play the game. Uh, interestingly. I play. I got the chance to play against a lot of his playtest circle back in uh, when I was at Wizards in, in the '90s, and so my money's on Charlie Catino, as I think the guy who probably took it next. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's actually the second name on the list. Before we go to Catino, I just want to ask a little bit about Garfield. Like, what, is he actually a good player? Because just because you create a game doesn't necessarily mean that you're also good at it, right? Do you have yeah, an insight about that? He's not a particularly good player. Oh, he's not. Okay. <laughs> no, I mean he's he's a creative mind. Like he's a great guy. Awesome dude. Uh, yeah, I, I feel lucky that I got the chance to, to meet him and you know, hang out with him even a little bit. And um, so, 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 yeah, I was just curious to know uh, how, how good Richard is. I, I was always assuming that he's not that great, but I just wanted to hear from you to, to kind of confirm that. So coming up in second place, you already mentioned him, is Charlie Catino. I don't, I don't even know the, know the name, surprisingly. Like, yeah, so he's one of the original playtesters for Magic. So Richard makes the game, and then uh, he's at the University of Pennsylvania. He's a, it's basically a bunch of graduate students, like guys. And Richard actually you know, got his PhD and was a math professor very briefly before Magic hit it big, and uh, he moved to Wizards. So his playtest circle is uh, you know, Charlie Catino, Bill Rose, Scaff Elias, Jim Lynn, Joel Mick, you know, a bunch of these guys who actually made the trip from the University of Pennsylvania out to the west coast of the U.S. and uh, took jobs, all took jobs at Wizards of the Coast eventually. So Charlie, of the, I, you know, I played against most of those guys a couple years later, like in the late 90s. Um, 
I, Charlie's just the guy that I, my money's on as being the best. He was a judge. Uh, some people who were around the Pro Tour back then may actually remember him as a you know head judge for U.S. Nationals and, and Pro Tours and stuff like that. So he was the guy that I thought of those of those early play testers was sort of the spikiest, right? The most competitive. And you know, I hear stories that when Magic first came out, like at that you know initial Gen Con or even at like the first World Championship, maybe even into the second World Championship, the the Wizards guys were actually the best players in the world. Uh-huh. Like it took a year or so for the sort of pro community to emerge and actually be better at the game than the than the designers yeah that's that's actually interesting <laughs> yeah i cannot yeah, imagine no, I, I, I hear stories of like sealed deck showdowns like the watsi guys would show up and play like heads up sealed deck against the top players from those tournaments and that the watsi guys are holding their own so oh, it took a couple of years for the world to catch up Mm-hmm. So coming up at uh, third place is someone that I actually recognize, at least by name, is Mark Justice. Yeah, the, I don't want to dwell too much on the, the sort of early years. It was definitely a wild, wild west era for Magic. and uh, But I do think Mark Justice is worth pointing out as the first good player. Like, he was consensus best player in the world, and his peak is probably even before the Pro Tour begins. Like I see. He's U.S. Nationals existed, and I mean, because the game started in the States and so many of the good players were in the States, I think U.S. Nationals is a relevant part of sort of the, mm-hmm. the story. And then the World Championships as well. Like, Mark was crushing it at U.S. Nationals, crushing it at the World Championships, and sort of had emerged as the game's biggest star as the Pro Tour is beginning, and he then puts up, like, five top eights across the first, you know, three years. I think his last top eight is in, in the third season of the Pro Tour. Um you know, Mike Long is the next lame on mm-hmm. that list. A lot of people have been paired. Like, Mike Long was... I, I mean, it's tough to talk about these guys, right? Because it's definitely Wild West era. Neither one of them is in the Hall of Fame because both of them have reputations where people weren't entirely convinced all their results were legit. You know, I have the impression that Mark was, you know, a reasonable guy who maybe was going through some stuff. And, you know, some people like to think that Mike Long actually sort of converted him to the dark side. Like, the power oh. Mark Justice's Dark Vader, right? He starts out as Anakin, but becomes Dark Vader. Uh, I don't know. Mike is... Mike was incredibly talented at magic. He's also a complete sociopath. Like, charismatic and looking to use it to exploit any advantage that he could possibly find. But was the most feared and probably, yeah, legitimately the most skilled magic player around. So, Mm -hmm. I don't know. You gotta... The belt goes through their hands, even if you know. I understand. Like thinking and talking too much about those early couple of years. You mentioned the dark side a couple of times. Was it kind of normal in the '90s that uh, that the the regular people were were cheating, or or was it still like considered that like you know you shouldn't be doing that, but maybe some people did it, or like you know I I don't I don't really know how it was back then. A lot of the mentality was. It's like fouls in a basketball game. You know, what can I get away with? The rules are set up with these penalties, so I'll do some stuff, and if I get caught, then, uh, you know, I'll, I'll take whatever the penalty happens to be. Um, I think Chris Bakula correctly gets tons of credit for helping to clean that up. That's just, that's not a great attitude to have pervasive in your game. Like, it's not fun to be constantly on the lookout for what is my opponent trying to get away with. So, yeah, it was pervasive in those early couple of years is my impression anyway i didn't actually play on the pro tour in season one or season two but you know i started out in season three and i felt like i was just constantly always watching what is what is somebody going to try to get away with so i mean i'm glad that that era ended i'm glad that you know the culture became very much 
you know, anybody who's sketchy, let's just run them the hell out of town. Were the, were the just judges judges maybe not that strict during that time? Or how, how did the people get away with it so easily? Uh, some of it is that the judges didn't know what to look for. Some of it is that the judges... I don't know. I mean, the judges... I don't know if they weren't good or they didn't care. I mean, there was definitely a little bit of a, like, pro-wrestling vibe. Like, from the wizard, from Wizards' point of view and from the judges' point of view, they wanted to promote the game. Like, they wanted people to care about this cast of characters. And so, like, having a bad guy to root against was not considered a bad thing. Like, and honestly, like, I was definitely around in the late 90s. When Mike Long was in the feature match area, people watched. Like, people wanted to root against Mike Long, and he was an extremely compelling character from, like, if you think about it from a pro wrestling point of view, right, he was the best heel the game ever had. And people wanted to watch, and people wanted to boot. I mean, the... The U.S. Nationals, where Matt Lindy top-decks the perfect card to beat Mike for the U.S. National Championship, the place goes berserk. I've never heard a louder, louder cheer from a crowd watching a Magic game. It's like up on the big screen in one room, and like they're playing on the other side of the convention hall, and you can actually see Mike slouch in his chair because he can hear the cheer coming from the other side of the convention hall. It's amazing. <laughs> like, I mean, from a promoting the broadcast point of view i you know i could get why wizards sort of let that go on maybe a little longer than they had to mm -hmm. yeah that's interesting to hear maybe maybe we need more bad guys in the magic community i'm not necessarily saying that we should allow for for cheaters but but it would be nice to have like people to root against or something but right 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 it, it's tricky like from a player's point of view it sucks like it's only good from the spectator point of view to have that that cheater bad guy from a player's point of view it's it's just not a fun experience and i mean magic competitive play i don't know it's Playing it, aspiring to play it has always been part of it, so... I don't know, yeah, I mean, that that is that was the state of Magic. Like, Mike held the belt. He was the most feared guy. You didn't want to get paired against him. Not just because you had to be on guard, but because he really was good at Magic, so... Mm -hmm. All right, the next name is is the name that everyone knows. is John Finkel, but you have Bob Maher, like, right behind him with, a, like, a question mark, so maybe if you can explain a little bit. Well, so Finkel's clearly the best player in the game. Finkel's, Finkel's reign, I think, kicks in in 1997. Uh, his first PT top eight at the master level is actually the PT that I win, Chicago in 97. And like, for a little while, I like to think maybe it's me. It wasn't me. Like, <laughs> I had a, a PT win and a Grand Prix win, so like, maybe you can look at a six month stretch where I have a better resume than he does. Uh, but in my heart, I know, I, I think I was number two, but I was definitely behind John. And John was the best. Uh, you know, he wins that player of the year. And then the next year, he's still the best. I have Bob in there because... So it's John for several years. Mm -hmm. And then eventually it becomes Kai. The question is, like, did anybody else sort of hold the belt in between? And there's a stretch where Bob Maher, he wins a Pro Tour. He wins Pro Tour Chicago. One of the best, like, if you like going back and watching early Pro Tour broadcasts, this is definitely one of the highlights of my career as a commentator. Like, I'd already gone to Wizards by the time Bob wins his Pro Tour Chicago. So I'm doing the commentary with Brian Hacker, and it is... The finals is just tremendous if you haven't seen it. I've seen know. it, I've seen it. It's, it's like the... the, the, the right? He forgets that he can activate Mishra's Factory and sort, sort it, so he, like, he doesn't do the, the X damage for enough or something like that? Is that a, is that a match you're talking about? I, yes, that oh. is the match. Okay, um, okay. Bob, oh yeah, bro. <laughs> it, 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 it's not just that. Like, the okay, sure. On in that. I don't want to spoil too much for anyone who hasn't seen it, but it's it's one of the most legendary finals. And Bob wins it. Bob then wins a Grand Prix, and Bob winds up winning Player of the Year that year. So he's like Pro Tour win, Grand Prix win, Player of the Year win. Arguably the best player in the game, but 
that's also like Bob wins player of the year, but he finishes second at Worlds, losing the finals to John. Mm. Right? John is John has this insane summer where he wins U.S. Nationals, he also wins Worlds, he also wins the World Team title. Like this whole summer, and like I I can't in my heart say Bob Maher's the best player in the game at this point. Like Bob, yeah. John only gets to second in the player of the year race behind Bob. Uh, so Bob is very close. Like you can make a case that there's like this you know, mm -hmm. six to 18 month stretch where Bob is the best player in the game. But I think it's John all the way up until it's Kai. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you, but I also agree that, you know, Bob Maher is definitely worth mentioning there. Um, yeah, exactly. So let's go, let's go for Kai, Kai Bude. Do you, do you actually think that like, you, you know, even, even during the, the reign of Kai, he was, Kai was actually better than John or maybe John wasn't playing as much. I don't actually know the details. So if you can explain a little bit. Sure. So when Kai wins his first Pro Tour, it's Worlds uh, 99. And I think John is still the best player in the game. Mm -hmm. Like Kai gets player his first player of the year title. It's mostly on the back of three Grand Prix wins. And then he shows up and wins Worlds. It sort of, sort of comes out of nowhere from the perspective of people who weren't hanging out on the European Grand Prix circuit. I still have John as my top player. Uh, after John wins that Worlds, he does fade away from the game a little bit. Mm -hmm. Like he's not as motivated. He goes off and you know he, he's he's doing other things other than Magic. So yeah, there's that. I also think Kai at his peak really was just better than John. Like even if John had been playing, the edge that Kai Buddha had over the rest of the field was truly absurd. And you know, you look at some of the stats. He wins. Seven Pro Tours, right? <laughs> yeah, he won seven, yeah. Run. And it's like, so he wins the Worlds fine. And then, you know, John has his summer and sort of, it's still clearly John. And then there was definitely this conversation in the early 2000s of like, okay, Kai, in retrospect, you can point, I think, to the Pro Tour where the torch passes. I think it's Chicago 2000. It's mm -hmm. December 2000. Invasion Block uh, has just come out. They're playing standard. The top eight is absurd. It's got like six Hall of Famers in it including both John and Kai, <laughs> right? Uh, I think they, they share one other top eight and win it a couple years later. But this is the point where, like, John is the man. This is actually the top eight where Brian Kibler earns his Dragon Master nickname. He oh, John nice. In the, in the first round of the top eight, attacking him with Rith, enchanted by Armadillo Cloak. <laughs> Brian has been the Dragon Master ever since. So Finkel loses out in the in the first round. Kai wins the Pro Tour. Like, in retrospect, that's the moment where the Pro yeah, Tour passes. Sense. In practice, it took a little while because John was so good and everyone knew how good John was. So it's like, oh, Kai wins a, pro wins a team pro tour. Okay, that's great. Kai wins another pro tour. And you're like, is he the best? What does he have to do to be the best? And you're like, well, win the next one. <laughs> then he wins the next one. Well, you know, he, won, he won three in a row? He won three out of four. Ooh. He won three out of four. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That's... And then the fourth of those people are like, I saw Pat Chapin take a bet on Kai to win the pro tour in the middle of day two before Kai had even made top eight, even odds. <laughs> even odds back to win the Pro Tour halfway through day two, and that won the bet. This wow. is also, there's also an awesome picture of uh, Eric Taylor with betting, like, Kai can't win again. He can't win us two in a row. Like, he can't win three out of four. And I'll, if he wins, I'll eat my hat. <laughs> and there's, like, actually pictures, if you go back and look at the coverage, of Eric Taylor with, like, this felt hat and a bottle of ketchup. <laughs> just, like, pounding on the table as he tries to swallow this. It's just completely unthinkable to, to, to think like in, in, in a current age that someone would do that. It's just like completely crazy. I, I don't think it's... So I do think that the world has changed since then in one crucial way. Like Kai, the end of Kai's reign 
is very close to the time where Magic Online first comes out. Mm -hmm. So Kai is crushing at a point where the average player doesn't have great deck lists. Like, I actually don't think that the best players in the game have gotten that much better over time, but I think, like, the average player at a big event, now they have a great deck list. Like, when Magic Online comes out, suddenly everybody has the ability to boost your draft whenever they like and play enough constructed to come up with some reasonable deck list. So the edge that Kai had over the field was gigantic, partially because he had access to good players, he could play test, he could draft, right? He could come up with decks. He was also just amazing and talented and put in the work to always have good decks. Um, but yeah, I don't know that anyone since has ever had the edge that Kai had in the early 2000s. And yeah, he got a little lucky to win seven Pro Tours, but he, I think he deserved to win three or four at least. Yeah, sure. I understand. So, so uh, below below Kai, you have a Huey with a question mark again here. Uh, is that similar to the to the to the thing with uh, Bob Maher before? Well, how how long does somebody need to be the best player in the game to actually get the belt? Right, that's kind of the question. Like Huey has this calendar year where he goes top eight, top eight, and then he wins the Team Pro Tour, defeating Kai. First time Kai got knocked out of a Team Pro Tour in many years. Kai, you know, Phoenix Foundation won, I think, three Team Pro Tours in a row? At least two. And then the Brockefellers, it's uh, Huey, Brock Parker, and Matt Lindy. Uh, at Knock them out. Huey leads the team to the, to the final, to the win. Like, so he's got three top eights that year, including a win in the Team Pro Tour. But then he immediately kind of fades off into the sunset and goes, and, you know, starts playing more poker than Magic. Uh, does, does he get the belt? Like, Kai's in that top eight. It's like, the first Pro Tour Huey top eight, I think Kai wins. So it's like, Kai didn't start to suck. Kai goes like, oh, he, he wins a Pro Tour, then he's like, cash, no money, cash, top eight. Like, has Kai's reign ended and Huey's the best player in exactly 2003? Like, I don't know. I don't know how long you need to be the best mm -hmm. to get the belt handed to you. I, I understand. I understand. I actually thought that Huey wasn't like, that good, but then he like came back and he just yeah. top aided like six GPs in a row or something. So I was like, okay, okay. I, I right, so he's he's around and he's one of the regulars starting in the late nineties. Like the nickname is crazy. I don't even know how many people know where this nickname comes from. But like, I actually I actually did an interview with him and I asked him about that. It's just like some okay. character from some old cartoon and people were making fun of him or something like that. And that's yeah, how it's, it. It's tight. Tommy Gavin, who was a uh, Boston area player, very sort of loud interesting character called him baby huey because when he comes up he's he's like 15 or 16 and he's gigantic like you've seen huey he's <laughs> what six eight six yeah like he's, he's, he's huge very large human being he's already that tall at 16 but his face makes him look like he's 12. so it just has this very baby face i i'm actually really impressed that he managed to embrace that nickname and turn it into like what he's become he's not baby huey anymore <laughs> and people are like yeah people use it as this this term of awe like i don't know i was impressed with the way he managed to sort of take that name and own it and uh redefine what it stands for in magic but yeah so he's around in the late 90s and the early 2000s he's one of the regulars you know you'd see you know john Tinko, bob maher william jensen hanging out sort of debating strategy that was like the the the, the peanut gallery sort of passing judgment on pro tour plays and like did i get this play right that's who you'd go talk to and say what what was i supposed to do in this spot um was the three of them they were definitely you know th th they were the best around kai's reign happens like so is there a point where huey's number one if there is it's 2003 like you can make the case 
but it only lasts for like nine months. I'm like, do you need a year to get the belts? I don't know what. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the right way to do this is. If if six months at on top can get you the belt, then he gets it. If you need a year, then I feel like there's only about a nine month window mm-hmm. where he's the best. Well, yeah. if it, if it was up to me, I would I would still put Kai there, but I, I definitely you know understand all the cases that you mentioned. So. Yeah, you can see the list I have. I have Huey with a question mark. I'm like, I think if we say one year is the cutoff, then I don't think Huey actually held the title. He's in that Bob Maher camp where like you could point to six months and say that he was maybe the best, but uh, it probably was still just Kai. Mm-hmm. So coming up with uh, with another name is someone who's actually crushing even until <laughs> to this day is Gabriel Nassif with a with a Masashi Oiso with like a question mark right behind him. Um, it, it's interesting. I always the, the first protocol coverage I ever watched was LSV versus Gabriel Nassif in the finals, which is a little bit later than this, right? So I actually didn't know that Nassif was so good even before that. Uh, that's interesting. Yeah, he has a stretch where he puts up five top eights in three years, including mm-hmm. a win. Like, you look at, you know, March 03, November 03, Feb 04, uh, September 04, March 05. So it's actually two years. It's five top eights in two years, including a win. It's a team pro tour that he wins at the end. I, I think that this is the point where Kai has faded away, right? It's not Kai on top at this point. So who's the best it's in a little bit of flux and i, I definitely do think you can make the case from masashi oiso who also has f- has five top eights in that stretch but oiso's five are spread out over about three years mm-hmm. and you know oiso never wins he's like around and like in the top eight but doesn't actually get that win so yeah i think that 2004 nasif is the best like this is he's been on tour for three four years at this point and he's got the best results and honestly like continues to put up results continues to put up results to this day you know i remember thinking there's a point five years after this where you're like you know is kenji samura the best player is Luis scott Vargas the best player has it just been gabriel nasif the whole time like you see him (laughs) 10 years later he's still putting up top eights like maybe it's just been him the whole time but he was on you know low variance not putting up quite as many top eights for for some of those years but yeah nasif can play nasif has always been among the best and yeah i definitely have him holding the belt sort of 2004 plus or minus a year i think that he was he was clearly number one he was definitely the guy you just did not want to get paired against yeah gabriel playing against nasif is definitely scary i i think that there is like a really good nasif and like slightly versus nasif i think that like the you know there are there are things that only he would like maybe think about but he can be a little bit sloppy so maybe he's not practicing as much you know he might not be as good so maybe that explains that that he wasn't winning as much for like the couple of years that you mentioned but you know overall he's definitely extremely good okay Agreed. the the next name is kenji oh sorry go ahead no, I was gonna say, and then the world, the story shifts to Japan. <laughs> the Japanese players definitely just took over the Pro Tour in the late 2000s. Like Oiso was the first, you know, and Oiso does have like six top eights scattered. Um, but for me, Kenji Samura was just a cut above. Like, you look at the Player of the Year race, and they sort of trade it back and forth between a bunch of them, right? You know, Saito wins one, Shuhei wins one, uh, Shota wins one, Player of the Year wise. But it, Kenji was the best. Kenji's got, you know, he has three top eights in one year, he has three more in the next couple of years, so it's like six top eights over the course of three and a half years, and just had this magnetism about him. Like, people wanted to see what he was up to, people wanted to, to hang out with him, people wanted to watch him play, and he just made some, made great plays sort of consistently through there. So, you know, I've got him as number one from 05 through to 08, 
uh, yeah, all that all that run where the sort of the Japanese players are trading the the player of the year back and forth. It's sort of like, well, who's going to the most Grand Prix turned out to be how you win player of the year in that stretch. Like there were so many mm-hmm. pro points available as the Grand Prix circuit opened up. But you know, if you wanted to sort of fairly say who's the best, I think the pro tours are always the thing you have to look at because that's the level playing field, right? Everybody had access to the exact same number of pro tours. So who put up the best results there is, I think, the the more relevant metric than, you know, who accumulated the most pro points across Grand Prix. It's interesting that you're kind of confirming that he was so good because when I when I started playing the Pro Tours, you know, Kenji was still playing the Pro Tours, but he wasn't like right. a, as good. Uh, but everyone was always saying like, you know, during his reign, uh, he was like really, really, really good. So I always wondered like what happened. Maybe he like wasn't playing as much anymore or like, I don't know, but. Uh, yeah, I, he, he was the best for sure for, you know, three, four years there. And I, I think at some point, he started playing the Pro Tour for fun. Like the Pro Tour became a place to hang out with his friends more than it became, you know, this competitive thing that he was obsessed with winning at. And I mean, at some level, when a guy is good enough that he can just stop preparing and go hang out, but stays on the gravy train and keeps qualified for years, tells you how good he must have been at his peak when he actually was winning mm-hmm. all the time and effort, right? That makes sense. So the next name is someone that everyone knows. He might be even the most famous Magic player, even maybe more famous than John Finkel, is LSV, Luis Vargas. Yeah, Luis Scott Vargas, when he is dialed in, he he's... You know, it's funny, like, you talk about who are the best Magic players of all time, right? And how do you how do you define that metric? Is it career value, right? Is it how many results you put up over time? Or is it peak value? Is it like, how good were they yeah. when they're at the very peak mm-hmm. of their powers? Like, you want to talk about peak value, I, th- I might have Luis ahead of John. Like, it's hard to argue with Kai's peak, but and then again, like... Luis never got to play in an era without Magic Online where you could build mm-hmm. up that gigantic edge. Like, peak Luis when he's dialed in and, you know, obsessed with Magic and practicing and, you know, doesn't have anything else distracting him is as good as anybody has ever been in Magic. I don't I don't know if he's number one, but, like, he, he might actually be number one on the peak value chart. Like, his run, 09, 10, 11, like, he comes out of nowhere to kind of win the Berlin Pro Tour. Then he's second two PTs later. That's the one that he loses to deceive. You know, puts up this stretch of you know five top eights with a win across those couple of years. Clearly, the best player in the world for sure. He peak Luis is insane. Do you do you think that uh, peak Luis is better than peak Paulo? I I have we seen peak Paulo yet? I actually feel like Paulo is playing better Magic right now than he did at any point in his career. Um, Let's talk about it later yeah. because he he is still on the list, so we can just uh, come to that conversation a little bit later. It's a fair question. I, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think I want to answer yes. Um, but like, Paulo's remarkable for me in his consistency, right? I, you go back and you look, and you're, you know, I was looking at some of the Player of the Year standings, and you know, you could make a case about Paulo being the best player in the game at you know three or four or five different points over the last what 15, 20 years, <laughs> right? He's consistently like top five or ten in the Player of the Year race in the. 2000 aughts and the you know 2015 now like he has been among the best five or ten players for closing it on two decades at this point so super impressive player but for me it's it's the longevity and the consistency and i don't know that he's ever had like the peak where he just dominated every single event so i mean with the, with the possible exception of right now where he's <laughs> okay uh next we have owen turtenwald 
I, I, before you say anything, I think people were like a little bit biased because there is like this, uh, he won, he wins like a second GP in a row and there is this tape with William Jensen and William Jensen said that Owen Turtlewatt is the best player and I think that everyone kind of started saying that right after that and just like kind of became a thing. I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying it wasn't true, I'm just saying that people are like maybe a little bit more biased towards that because of that statement. When, but uh, Sorry, your, your feed broke up, when did you say that? Uh, after, after Owen won a second GP in a row, uh, there was like this interview. Yeah, yeah. Twenty twelve, probably. Uh, yeah, I think so. Something, something around that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely think Owen's reign. I, I definitely think Owen held the belt. Mm -hmm. Like there is definitely. You look at twenty fifteen, where Owen's got you know, uh, what is it? He has four top eights in about three years. He, he also has that second at Worlds. He wins his like second player of the year trophy. I think he's clearly the best player in the game. Mm -hmm. The 2012 player of the year title is very much fueled off Grand Prix points, right? And you know when he gets to the Pro Tour, when he gets to that level playing field, he's not putting up the best results. So like, I don't know that Owen was the best at the point where Huey said that, but I do think I that see. Owen held the belt for at least a couple of years. Mm -hmm. Like, did he did he have it in 2012? I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's Paulo in 2012. You know, you could make a case for, a, you know, Yuya Watanabe, maybe. Uh, I kind of want to err on the side of leaving Yuya out of those conversations, given recent developments. So I don't <laughs> think it's, in retrospect, no. Um, yeah, I don't know that there's anybody in between Luis and Owens, but I don't know when exactly Owen kicks in as the title holder. The the 2012 POY, I think you could you could argue he's not the best because that's so so much of that is Grand Prix. Now, look, there's definitely skill in being able to go to Grand Prix and put up the results that he did. Um, but it's when the Pro Tour results kick in that I really think Owen's got the rock-solid case to, to hold the belt for at least a couple of years. Mm -hmm. So next we have LSV again. Uh, is, this, is, this, is this maybe the time where he top-aided three, uh, three Pro Tours in a row? Or? Yes! What's that? <laughs> three top-aids in a row? That's like booty-in, right? Uh, Kai, I'm sure, did that at some point. Um, now, I don't know that there's a year, though. Like We said earlier that it wants to be a one-year stretch before you actually get the belt. So I don't know if Luis gets the belt back, but he does go back-to-back-to-back -to -back -to -back top eights. I think that the only thing that stopped him is this is the point where he takes a year off to do commentary. Right? He decides to do coverage, and so he goes back-to-back-to-back -to -back -to -back top eights. I do think that was the guy you didn't want to get paired against. Right? If you asked in you know exactly whatever that year is, 2016, who's the best player, you're going to get people saying Luis had Vargas. He's just... The run that he was on was insane. Um, I don't know that it lasts over a year. I think with our metric that we established for around Huey, maybe maybe he doesn't get the belt back. Um, <laughs> but worth noting, like you could definitely make the case. 2016, Luis is, I guess he's the only person who like loses the belt and then wins it back again in my list. Do you maybe think that he he you know because he knew he was going for the for the coverage that he just like wanted to prove everyone like show everyone that he's the best and maybe b before he went there he just like went all in and just like maybe played 16 hours a day to just like really show everyone before we actually before he actually decided to quit with the pro magic um i don't know that commentary made him want to he, i don't know he, he was dialed in he was super dialed in uh at some level that has to do i guess with you know whatever's going on in the rest of his life and how much time he's spending getting prepped but i it would be weird to me that like commentary Leaving for commentary made him want to show people. I doubt that's what it was. Mm -hmm. That doesn't. It just doesn't sort of. So it just so happened. Movies. Yeah. I, I mean, I think he was. He got. Su he got super dialed in for whatever reasons. Like those were events. He was probably enjoying hanging out with the playtest crew, enjoying thinking about magic, and uh, yeah, Luis when he's dialed in is the best. So that's that was 2016. 
<laughs> so next we have said men field. Um, yeah, it's actually it's actually kind of tricky for me. Sorry, I, I can let you know. No, go ahead. Me. Go ahead. You know these guys probably better than I do, honestly. Uh, why do why do you, why do you think I, it's true that I did test it with him for for like one of the years? Um, but the problem with Seth is that he's like really bad at like conveying thoughts. Uh, you know, he, you ask him something, he can't really explain it to you, or he just like like laughs a little bit <laughs> because he just like thinks that you, you might might not be able to comprehend his like thought process or whatever. I think. Um, so it's just like hard for me to like know exactly how good he is, but I think he's like extremely good. Yeah, I the results say that he's extremely good. The the question for me is like okay. Ten years ago, Luis Pat Vargas is clearly the best player in the history of the game. Right now, Paulo Vitor Damarosa clearly the best player in the history of the game. Okay, how many people actually held the belt in between? Right? I, I don't think Yuya was ever actually number one. I think he was second to Owen. Like, I'm pretty sure Owen's on the list. But, like, what is there a point where Seth is the best? Like, clearly one of the best, right? Starting from the point where he beats Owen in that world. You know, he it, he and Paulo is, I think, the question. Like, maybe it's just been Paulo ever since 2017, right? Paulo's the one who wins Player of the Year in 2017, not Seth. But if you look at it, they both have four top eights and a win from, like, 15 to 17. So Seth also has that Worlds win over Owen. So I do think, like, there's a point where Seth is the best for a year or two. Like, I don't think people were pointing to Paulo as consensus number one until more recently so mm -hmm. i think seth gets the belt but like maybe it's just been paulo the whole time i don't know i think i think seth was better there was like a time where every single gp he was in a debate and like it was yeah. just the most feared opponent like yeah I, I agree with you i think it was set for like one year or, or something like that yeah but. i so that that's my list a year or two of seth and then clearly it's paulo right now right yeah, Paolo, you know, he he has won worlds. He's doing well at like all the tournaments. I think he's even like second in the MPL rankings or, or something like that. And he's just so good. Like, I don't know. It might be also the fact that because of Arena, maybe like people care a little bit less. But, you know, he's just like so good regardless that he has like slightly bigger edge than he would otherwise have or something. Like, I'm not sure. But he's definitely... Is it that, is it that or that because everything's on Arena, he actually has as much access to big tournaments as everybody else does? Uh, that might be also the case. I don't. I don't know. But he, he has not historically been able to travel to Grand Prix the way like mm -hmm. you talk about Grand Prix is the case for Seth Mansell. How many of those did Paulo even attend? Right? Would Paulo have the gaudy Grand Prix stats if he'd gone to as many of them? It's. I mean that that it's tricky because like his access to competitive Magic from Brazil has always been an issue, right? I mean certainly back toward the beginning of his career, he would struggle to even get to big events so it's uh yeah i never thought of that that's actually yeah, that's actually a very good point you know, looking at paulo's results in the context of living in south america should make them even more impressive than they are mm -hmm. and they already are insane right he's in the conversation for top two or three all time and he's clearly in the top three i think i have him at number two i still have john number one all time but like, if you adjust for South America and his access to events, like, maybe I should have Paulo number one at this point. Mm -hmm. What I actually think is crazy about Paulo that he's actually, like, maybe not playing as much. Like, the other people that were mentioned on this list, I think during their peak, they were just, like, playing all the time. But he, you know, he, he I, I don't think he's, like, practicing 12 hours a day. I think he might play, like, you know, a couple hours or something. Or, or, or you know, when there's, like, an event coming up, obviously he's going to play more. But, you know, it just shows his understanding of the game that he's, like, able to play so well, even despite maybe not playing as much. I don't know. Fair. Yeah. 
True. Clearly the guy with the belt right now. Like, yeah, definitely. You want to be the best? You gotta, you gotta knock Paulo off the third trade. Do, do you think? Do, do you think that there's any case for Andre Strasky right now? Oh, uh, I could see that. Like, I don't think you can make the case for him being actual number one. But like, do you think Strasky? I don't think he has the results yet to knock Paulo off the perch. But is is he the current number two? Is he the guy who's like coming for Paulo at the next couple big events? That's, I would buy that argument. Well, well, well like, we will see. Not, there's clearly not a year where he's on top, right? But mm -hmm, yeah, I, well, well, he won. He won Pro Tour like a year and a half ago, and since then he's like winning, you know, crushing all the events. He's first in MPL and stuff like that. So I think there is like case for him potentially, but maybe, maybe. I mean, let's see how it plays out. That's part of the fun with this, <laughs> right? Like I go back in retrospect and point to this Chicago 2000 as the point where Kai takes the torch from John, but at the time nobody thought that. Like it took another couple of results before people started to realize, oh yeah, Kai is actually just better. Maybe that's where Andre is right now. But then, then, then you look in a retrospect and you're like, you know, after he makes all these results, it becomes clear, clear that he's the best. But maybe he was best even like the year before. It just like took time to actually make all the results. So like, I don't know, maybe he, he is the best right now, but we just don't know yet. But That is possible. All right. It, it was fun talking, talking with you. Thanks for your expertise. Uh, it was awesome. Sure. Yeah, this was fun. Uh, yeah, if, uh, before we uh, end this video, maybe you want to tell people where they can find you on the internet if you want to. Uh, I mean, Twitter is the best place to, to follow me, uh, at rbuehler. Mm -hmm. That's uh, anything I'm up to magic-wise, I'm going to put it on my Twitter, so that's... Uh, okay. Uh, if, you guys, if you guys like the video, please click on the like and subscribe button. Thanks, Randy, and I'll uh, see you next time. Cheers.